Welcome to International Podcast Month, or IPM. IPM 2020 is brought to you by the organizational team, Anne, Cole, Tess, and Theron. A very special thank you to all of our participants, without whom this event wouldn't be possible. And now, on to the episode. This is a special episode created for International Podcast Month, September 2020, which I'm proud to be supporting. International Podcast Month has been created to celebrate podcasts and introduce audiences to a variety of shows and blog posts. You can find out more about this wonderful collaboration at internationalpodcastmonth.com and check out the International Podcast Month Twitter feed at PodMonth. Casual Birder podcast. I'm Susie Buttress. As a casual birder, I take time to watch birds as I go about my daily tasks. In my show, I'll tell you about the wild birds I've seen, speak with other enthusiasts, take bird walks, and share stories from listeners around the world. I'm a bird watcher. I can't help it. I've loved watching birds ever since I was a small child. I love their colours, their songs and calls, the variety in their size and shape, their ability to fly and the amazing journeys that some of them make. I can spend hours just looking for the birds that are around me, hearing and identifying the species I know well, and seeking out and challenging myself to identify new ones, and loving every moment. Something you learn early on when you take an interest in nature is that it doesn't always do what you want it to do. While it can be exhilarating to spend hours walking at the coast or in the countryside, you don't always get the hoped-for bird sightings. Sometimes, staying closer to home, whether in your garden or at a local park, is a more reliable way to see our wildlife. And once you stop and take notice of your local species, you may be surprised at what you find. 2020 has been a difficult and challenging year. Many of us have been seeking solace in nature, and as I've remained at home much of the time since March, my garden birds have provided interest and distraction. Since early spring, I've been making regular watches of my local birds and recording the sightings on eBird. It's a great way to assist with community science and keep records of what you see. In this episode, I'll tell you about the birds I've seen from my garden this year and speak in more detail about my regular visitors. A quick overview of my suburban garden. I live in Hampshire in southern England. My garden is south-facing, about half the size of a tennis court. We've got houses to either side of us, but we're lucky to back onto a cul-de-sac, so we have a fairly open view of the sky. The garden is fully fenced, with a hole in the base at one corner for the Hedgehog Highway, a route through gardens for hedgehogs to freely roam. A third of the garden is given to patio and decking and the remainder set to flower beds and lawn. There are two small areas on opposite sides of the garden with closely grown shrubs. A couple of untended flower beds that are mostly bare earth, apart from the well-established fuchsia plants, we're not good gardeners, and three young trees that are about eight feet tall, an acer, a flowering cherry and, I think, an acacia. I provide food for the garden birds and have a couple of hanging feeders containing sunflower hearts, some ground feeding trays, I put out a small amount of no-mess seed mix each day, 
and three water baths of various sizes and depths, all dotted round the garden. I've seen 34 bird species from my garden this year, either in the garden or flying over. 13 of them are regular visitors, appearing daily or several times a week. The Eurasian blue tit, great tit, European goldfinch, house sparrow, dunnock, European robin, Eurasian blackbird, three members of the crow family, the Eurasian magpie, Eurasian jackdaw and rook, the common wood pigeon, Eurasian collar dove, and a very unusual garden visitor, especially for built-up areas, a red-legged partridge. During the summer months, common swift were also seen regularly over my garden, but I last saw them in mid-August and they've now migrated back to Africa. Less frequently seen, probably several times a month, are long-tailed tit, European greenfinch, Eurasian wren, common or European starling, red kite and carrion crow. And the red kite is flying over, I haven't seen one in my garden yet. The following species are infrequent or rare visitors, but have been seen in the garden this year. Coltit, common chaffinch, common chiffchaff, Eurasian bullfinch, Eurasian sparrowhawk and Eurasian jay. And the following birds were either heard from my garden or seen flying overhead. So I've heard song thrush, blackcap and tawny owl. And I've seen flying over common buzzard, herring gull, grey heron, great cormorant. And um, until recently, I would have said lesser black-backed gull. But one did land this summer and caused a bit of drama when it couldn't easily leave my garden. The story had a happy ending, however, when I helped it out of the garden through my gate so that it had more room to take off and fly away. But it was a bit of a story and uh, I wrote a blog post about it, so you can find that on casualbirder.com. In addition this year, my garden has welcomed two hedgehogs and a passing grey squirrel. Depending on location and nearby habitats, other gardens may have a different mix of species. I'll tell you more about the 13 species that regularly visit my garden, including what they look like, how they sound, and some of the behaviours and interactions I've noticed. Eurasian blue tip. The blue tit is a very familiar bird in British gardens. Dumpy yet acrobatic, with blue upper parts and pale yellow below, it has a distinctive blue crown, white face and a black line running from the short bill through the eye to the nape of the neck. Their song is fairly high-pitched. And the alarm call is a series of scolding phrases. I've noticed that other birds respond to this call and will either go on alert or quickly leave the garden when they hear it. I usually see only one or two at a time unless there is a family group including fledglings being fed. They are mostly found in trees and shrubs but will occasionally come down to the ground to feed or bathe. They take food readily from hanging feeders and they like seed and suet and they may hang upside down to get food from the feeders which can be quite entertaining. They often investigate fences and structures for small insects. I've seen them bathe in the shallow water dish and also seen them choose dirty brackish water over fresh clean water. What can you do? 
They will happily use nest boxes in the garden and this makes them beloved of many garden bird watchers. Great tits are dominant to blue tits and will actively displace them from a nest box in order to use it themselves. Other than that, I've only really seen blue tits come into conflict with other blue tits. This generally seems territorial and consists of continual chasing until the intruder leaves. When at feeders, they don't seem to mind sharing the feeder with other small birds that are around, but they are understandably wary of the bigger birds. I love seeing blue tits around my garden, bringing in the splash of blue and yellow from their plumage and the entertainment from the way they hang upside down on feeders. Great tip. Great tits are our largest tit species, similar in size to house sparrows. They're easy to recognise with olive green upperparts, yellow underparts, black head, white cheeks and a central black line extending down the breast. Females look similar to the males, but the black central line is less prominent. Great tits have quite a repertoire of calls. It's easy to mistake them for another bird. Well, I've done that, thinking I was hearing a chaffinch saying pink pink and then finding out it was a great tit calling instead. When angry or alarmed, the great tit has a very strident, scolding call. I mostly see great tits at my hanging feeders, or in the shrubs. They eat seeds, nuts and the suet. And they do occasionally come down to the feeder trays, but they prefer to feed in the trees. Great tits will, as I mentioned before, happily nest in garden nest boxes, and we've had them attempt to raise families for the past few years. Fortunately, about half those broods managed to fledge. It's upsetting to realise that this is not always the case. When you have a camera view into a nest, you become attached to the birds you see developing and growing, but sometimes the nests fail. The great tits this year only had three chicks, and only one of those actually fledged. I hope that chick is now one of the birds I see in my garden. As mentioned previously, great tits will dominate other tit species due to their larger size and especially will fight blue tits for control of an S-box. European goldfinch. A slender little bird that I always think of as a jewel in my garden as it has such a colourful plumage. Adults have a caramel coloured body with pale undersides, red face, white cheeks and black crown and nape. The wings are black with a broad golden patch and white spots on the primaries, the long feathers at the leading edge of the wing. Males and females look the same. However, I learned recently that the red mask extends slightly further back in males, although I haven't yet managed to identify them separately myself. Juveniles lack the facial markings and look mainly grey-brown with streaks, but still showing the golden wing bars. Their strong conical bill is perfect for teasing seeds out of seed heads. Usually I can hear them before I see them as they announce their arrival with a series of tinkling notes. And they keep in touch with each other through soft contact calls. During the summer, I hear them sing from roof or treetops. And once you know the call, you can hear them as they fly overhead. And sometimes, against a blue sky, you can spot the golden wing patches as they fly over. One or two goldfinches come every day to the garden. At one point this year, I counted ten, and I realised that they were actually part of a much bigger flock as they flew away. 
In my garden, goldfinches come regularly to my hanging feeders and they love sunflower hearts. I've tried using niger seed or black thistle seed for goldfinches, but they don't really care for it. I also saw them eating the dandelion seed heads that formed in the less well-kept areas of my garden behind our greenhouse. They generally defer to other birds at the feeder, but will squabble with each other, making angry zizzing noises. They come regularly to drink from the water dishes, and though I rarely see them bathe, sometimes they will stop long enough to do so. And if I sit quietly in the garden, they'll come to the feeders while I'm out there. But they are easily spooked and will fly off together in a small flock, twittering as they go. House Sparrow A chunky small bird with brown streaked upper parts and buff underparts. Males have a black bib extending down onto the breast, grey crown and cheeks, chestnut stripe behind the eye extending to the nape, and black laws, that's the area between the bill and the eye. Females are streaked brown above and grey buff below, with a soft brown stripe behind the eye. Female house sparrows always seem to have very gentle faces to me. I can often hear house sparrows chattering away to each other, especially towards dusk. There's a small play park opposite my house, surrounded by bushes, and the main house sparrow flock gathers there at the end of the day. I love hearing the distinctive chirps of house sparrows in my garden, especially when they're hidden in the shrub, but still letting everyone know they're there. I generally see around five or six in my garden, with a mix of male and female birds. I hadn't seen any in my garden for several months. Then in March, a male started visiting. He obviously liked what he found and told the others in the wider house sparrow community because within a few weeks, we had larger numbers visiting. House sparrows stay in small flocks. While they will visit the hanging feeders, they prefer to take seed from the ground feeding trays. I'll typically see a few of them feeding at once, either from the same feeder tray or from adjacent ones. I've got one feeder tray about three foot out from the shrubs and they will fly out as a small group. Maybe a male will check all is safe first, and then more will come out to feed. They're very restless though, and at the first sign of unease, a chirp will ring out, and all the birds will fly quickly back into the shrub. This year was the first time I noticed the whirring sound their wings make as they fly their direct route to the cover of the shrubs. Both males and females feed the young, and they do this very gently, offering food to the fledglings. It really is very sweet to see. House sparrows bathe in the water dishes, often with several in the bowl at once. They will take dust baths as well on dry sunny days. I love seeing the little shallow dips in the soil that they make by kicking up the soil over themselves. House sparrows appear to tolerate other birds at the feeder trays and will dart in to take a seed while the much bigger pigeons and doves feed, but they are very wary of magpies, although they don't seem to mind rooks and jackdaws so much. Sometimes tussles will break out between individuals and the angry sustained calls will definitely attract your attention. In other countries where they've been introduced, especially the United States, house sparrows are known to be very aggressive, especially towards native species such as bluebirds. I have heard of bluebird nests being wrecked and the bluebirds killed by house sparrows, but I've never noticed that kind of aggressive behaviour here. Dunnock. Superficially, like a house sparrow, in that they are small birds with brown streaked bodies and a smooth blue-grey throat and nape. However, the bill is much more slender than in a house sparrow. Males and females look alike and juveniles are streaky all over. 
Their call is a simple seep. And you'll often hear it with no idea what bird's making it, as they're so often hidden from view. During the breeding season, dunnocks sing from high points such as the top of shrubs. Their song sounds very fluty and I do sometimes get it confused with a robin's call. Generally, I'll see one or two dunnocks in the garden at one time, although there have been times this year where I've seen up to five at once. They prefer to remain in the undercover of shrubs. When you do see them, they're usually foraging among the leaf litter for insects. They'll visit the ground feeder trays for small pieces of seeds or nuts that the other birds have dropped, but they seem to be uninterested in any of the other bird species or in humans being in the garden. They just get on with their foraging. There were several juveniles in my garden this year, and a couple of times, while I was sitting quietly outside, I'd notice a youngster sunbathing on the ground next to a shrub, spreading its wings and tail and turning its face to the sun. I have noticed that when several dunnocks are present, individuals will flick their wings repeatedly, which I think is part of their territorial or mating display. Dunnocks are known to have complex mating and bonding patterns amongst several individuals, not just a pair. And apart from chasing each other and flicking their wings, I haven't really seen dunnocks behaving aggressively towards each other, although the field guides report that fighting to the death can occur. European Robin Robins are a similar size to house sparrows, so one of the smaller birds in my garden. They have a distinctive round shape, and legs that give the appearance of being quite long in relation to the body. With brown upper parts, pale belly and rusty red face and breast, edged with grey, the adult robin is very easy to identify. Juvenile robins have the same body shape but are much more spotted and lack the red bib. Both sexes sing to defend territory. I've read that robins have both autumn and spring songs and I've definitely noticed a difference. The autumn song seems less rousing and maybe a little sad. It seems to be associated more with the tick call. When I hear it, I always think of sunny autumnal days. The breeding song is much more robust, but both are beautiful. I usually only see one bird unless there's a breeding pair or an intruder in the territory which is soon chased off. Voted the nation's favourite bird in many polls, it's also known as the gardener's friend. They follow gardeners around, particularly when the soil is being disturbed, catching the exposed insects and worms. We don't do much gardening but whenever we've done any digging, a robin will usually turn up to check our progress. The robins eat sunflower hearts, occasionally from the hanging feeder seeds from the ground feeder tray and suet from the hanging feeder, but they're mostly insectivorous. They're mainly solitary birds and will defend their territory aggressively and will even attack red objects such as rags during the breeding season. Although I've never experienced it, some robins become very accustomed to humans and will approach for food 
especially mealworms. Eurasian blackbird. A medium-sized bird, the unmistakable male is black, with a yellow bill and thin yellow eye ring. The female is mid-brown with a brown bill, and immature birds resemble the female, but with a paler underbelly and streaks or spots on the breast. The blackbird's song is a beautiful melody and one of my favourite to hear. They also have a high-pitched repeated C, which has been suggested to be an alarm that specifies a flying predator. Another alarm call is a very noisy and continued metallic sounding pit pit pit. When magpies or cats are about, they make a constant, loud chack-chack-chack, which certainly attracts attention. Generally, I only have one or two birds in the garden at a time, possibly a pair. However, in the winter, when food is scarce, I've seen eight or nine blackbirds in the garden at once. It's such a common garden bird, and the blackbird is often seen on lawns and other open ground, taking a few steps, then stopping, alert, looking for worms. Males often choose a prominent perch, like a rooftop or a tree branch, to sing. While most often a ground feeder, in my garden I've seen them balancing on the hanging feeders to get the sunflower seeds or suet. And blackbirds will often take quite vigorous baths in the water dishes. They'll dip and flap their wings in the water, then wait for a moment before repeating this until they're satisfied. This summer, when they were young to feed, a couple of blackbirds became quite confiding and regularly approached me for suet pellets. I've also often noticed blackbirds sunbathing and spreading their tail and wings out, laying them against the ground, mouth open, face turned to the sky. It's been suggested that they do this to help deal with parasites on their feathers and to spread preen oil which conditions the feathers. Blackbirds are territorial and chase others out of the garden or snap their beaks at each other and occasionally flying at each other and fighting briefly in midair. During the summer, A couple of different females were gathering food for young in the garden, but they were not very tolerant of each other, and the less dominant bird ensured it kept out of sight of the dominant one as much as possible. When it didn't, it was chased out. Occasionally I see them in flight, chasing collared doves. I still haven't worked out the reason for that. The doves are a similar shape to sparrowhawks, but pose no threat to blackbirds themselves. The next three species that visit regularly are all members of the crow family known for their intelligence and curiosity, and they're very interesting to watch. Eurasian magpie. Magpies are striking-looking birds, fairly large compared to my usual garden visitors, with a long, sharp bill and a long tail. It's about the same length again as the body. From a distance, they appear to have black and white plumage. But close up, it's possible to see green, blue and purple iridescence in their wing and tail feathers. Magpies have quite harsh calls and can be raucous when threats like cats are near. But they also sometimes chatter to themselves and I always feel honoured when I get to hear it. 
Usually there's one or two birds visiting the garden at one time, but I have had up to five. With that many, they tend to get the garden to themselves. The smaller birds don't hang around. Magpies are very confident birds, swooping into the garden and scattering other birds out of their way. They eat a variety of food, including seeds and nuts, suet, carrion, and smaller birds, eggs and nestlings. Magpies often grab whatever food is available and fly off with it, and then return shortly after to take more. Sometimes they bury or cache the food in the garden, and I do enjoy seeing them do this, pushing the food deep into the lawn and pulling up grass clumps to cover the stash. I've noticed that sometimes magpies will take food to a water bowl and drop it in before eating it. I wonder if this is another way to take in water, or whether it makes the drier food easier to swallow. Magpies seem to love bathing almost as much as starlings do, judging by the amount of splashing that goes on when they're in the bird bath. They allow themselves to get quite drenched before soggily flying to a branch to preen and dry off. They're incredibly curious about their environment, and they can be mischievous too, as I noticed a couple of years ago when I watched three youngsters repeatedly pulling the clothes pegs off my washing and just watching as each item dropped to the ground. Another time, I watched a couple following a squirrel around the garden, watching where it buried nuts and acorns. I still don't know if they came back to get the food or whether they were just harassing the squirrel. Magpies can be aggressive and occasionally get into fights, pinning the opponent down and pecking at it. Although I know that magpies raid nests for eggs and nestlings, I was shocked a couple of years ago when I saw one grab a healthy fledgling house sparrow from the lawn and fly off with it but I guess it had youngsters itself that also needed feeding. One of the aggressive or maybe cheeky habits I've noticed magpies specialise in is pulling the tail feathers of larger birds. Wood pigeons seem to be particularly prone to having this done to them, but I've also seen magpies try it with rooks. Possibly they're trying to get the bigger bird away from food without directly engaging with it. But it does look quite sneaky and yet comical when they sidle up behind the target and attempt to quickly pull the tail feathers without being caught. I did feel sorry for the wood pigeon that once lost three feathers in a tail attack. That must have stung. Most birds seem to realise what the magpie's up to, however, and turn around to always keep this menace in view. Eurasian jackdaw. I've been very pleased to have jackdaws regularly visiting my garden, as they seem such characterful birds, as they strut around the garden with their upright gait. They often arrive with the larger rooks. Jackdaws are the smallest member of the crow family in the UK and are very distinctive with their black body and face, silver grey nape, black cap and pale eyes. Juveniles lack the silver grey neck and have a brownish wash over the plumage. Their main call sounds petulant to me, like they're upset things aren't going their way. Most days, three or four jackdaws will arrive early with the rooks and then visit again several times during the day. The most jackdaws that have visited at one time this year is nine. Jackdaws particularly enjoy mealworms and suet, but will take whatever's on offer, including small seeds, grapes and apple cores. Young jackdaws make 
constant and insistent begging calls of their parents. And as daylight comes early in the summer, I was treated to these calls as my wake-up alarm. Several times during the summer while I sat out in the garden, if I stayed still, a jackdaw would strut around investigating food sources and would sometimes walk very close to me without appearing concerned. I'm used to seeing blackbirds and dunnocks sunbathing, but I was surprised on particularly hot days this summer to see jackdaws spreading their wings and tail flat against my roof tiles. It must have been very hot for them. Black plumaged birds laying on tiles reflecting heat and under a scorching sun. But several of them did it, so it must have been of some use to them. Jackdaws often associate with rooks, and I have had a mixed flock of 10 or 12 birds at once, and even with the separate feeding stations, squabbling occurs. Magpies try to bully jackdaws by chasing them or flying at them, but they won't attempt that with the rooks. I think this is due to the jackdaws being similar in size to the magpie. I'm sure magpies know they would come off worse against the bigger rooks. In the mornings and evenings during the autumn and winter, I notice a bird commute happening. Jackdaws and rooks flying together in a large flock, I assume travelling to and from their roosting sites. This has just started up again this year. Whenever I hear the calls of this flock, I usually rush out to watch it pass overhead. Rook. A large bird with all black plumage and bare grey skin around their bills, which makes it look like they have a whitish face. Sexes look alike, although possibly the females are slightly smaller in build. What I have noticed is that the larger birds are more dominant. Juveniles lack the grey face and might be mistaken for carrion crows. As the birds look so similar, the only way I can tell them apart is through behaviour. There's one adult that's been visiting me regularly, more of this in a moment, and a juvenile that's been hanging around the neighbourhood and sometimes interacts with a local magpie. Their main call is rough, raw, and I think deeper than that of a carrion crow. Whereas some birds gently offer food to their young, rooks push the food down the throat of their youngsters. This causes the raucous begging calls to be suddenly shut off by an almost choking sound. I'm going to spare you the recording I took of that. One of the most delightful things I learned about rooks this year is that they sometimes chatter to themselves. Whether this counts as song, I don't know, but it's one of the sounds most likely to make me stop whatever I'm doing to listen. Some of the phrases make me laugh with delight. I've noticed at least two different birds doing this, and it's definitely been one of my highlights this year. Generally, I'll get one or two birds in my garden each day. Rooks are well known as a raucous social bird that roosts in large colonies. They're often seen in large flocks roaming through farm fields, foraging for grubs and earthworms and accompanied by jackdaws. 
When the young were fledged this year, flocks of around 10 or 12 adults and juveniles would come to feed in the mornings, and that was a bit noisy. Until a few years ago, I'd never seen one in my garden. But a couple of individuals started coming regularly. I think they were attracted by the wood pigeons feeding in my garden. I imagine that as wood pigeons also feed on farm fields where the rooks feed and are not much smaller than the rooks, the rooks decided my garden must be a suitable place to check out. When they walk around the garden, they seem to be inspecting it, like a disapproving schoolmaster from the olden days. This year, one particular rook has been visiting very regularly and waited to be fed separately from the other birds. It would always follow the same procedure and come to the deck railing outside of my kitchen window and look in at which point I was trained to go and throw out a handful of suet pellets. It's possibly the same bird that visited last year for a few months. Rooks eat seed from the ground feeder, suet from one of the hanging feeders, and they will jump up to try to get the suet. And one or two of the birds even became proficient at hanging on the sunflower feeder to get to the seeds. And that looked pretty bizarre seeing such a big bird hanging off a sunflower feeder. Rooks appear to have a large crop in which they can carry quite a lot of food. Very often, even outside of breeding season, I've seen them fly off with a full crop. Perhaps they're caching it somewhere for later. Fun fact, I've never seen a rook bathe, whether in water or dust. They come to drink at the water bowls and they sit bedraggled in the rain, but I've never seen them voluntarily go into the water. Seeing them at such close range gave me an opportunity to watch behaviours I wouldn't otherwise have noticed. A dominant bird will fly into the very spot another is standing and force it to move out of the way. Wings are lifted briefly and repeatedly when one bird is warning another to stay away or to move away from the food source. And a further show of dominance is what I've termed pantalooning. The dominant bird will fluff up its thigh feathers, giving the impression of wearing pantaloons or baggy shorts. This plus fanning its tail and raising its back feathers, all serve to make the bird look bigger and more threatening. I've rarely seen full-blown attacks, although I did witness one scuffle in the summer between juveniles where the dominant bird held another down on the lawn and pecked at it. I'm afraid I intervened on that one and knocked on the window to distract them. One of the things my rook visitor did a lot was suddenly look at its feet, as though checking they were still there. It showed this behaviour whether alone or with others, And very often when it landed on our deck railing, it would do it. I haven't yet worked out what that behaviour signified. Common wood pigeon. Wood pigeons are unmistakably heavily built, large blue-grey birds, much bigger than a feral pigeon. It has white patches on the side of the neck and white edges to the closed wings, and its head appears small in relation to its body. The wings and tail are slightly darker grey than the body, and there's a pinkish flush to the breast. Both the bill and the eye are yellow. At close range, you can see green and purple iridescence on the sides of the neck. Males and females look alike. Juveniles lack the white patches on the side of the neck and have greyer eyes and bill. Their song is distinctive and you can definitely hear it in the neighbourhood. It's kind of like a woohoo, woohoo. flocking species and sometimes vast flocks can be seen on farm fields. I usually have two or three individuals in the garden. Recently I had 11 birds at once and that made the garden look pretty full with the size of the wood pigeons but this included four juveniles so it was probably several family groups and they all got on quite well together. 
Wood pigeons have noisy wings and you can hear them as they land and take off. The clatter as they take off very often disturbs other birds and I suspect that wood pigeons are used by other species as an alert for danger. You might see or hear a flying display with a short steep climb, one or two wing claps in the middle and a glide downwards. Quite elegant for an ungainly bird. When they land, they often lift their tail for a moment. I don't think this has anything to do with balance. Maybe it's a signal to other birds that I have arrived. Wood pigeons eat seed, nuts and fruit, although they'll also eat suet pellets from the ground feeding trays. I've seen them eating leaves of some grasses and I've just recently noticed that my fuchsias produce berries and wood pigeons will eat that, destroying some of the flower heads on the process. For such a bulky bird, they can be quite agile, standing on quite thin branches to get at brambles and other types of berries. Wood pigeons are quite keen to get to a food source when they find one. In my garden, they've learned to sit under the hanging feeders and wait for goldfinches and others to drop bits of sunflower seeds on the floor. They've even attempted to get onto the hanging feeders themselves, especially when I used to have small seed trays on the base of them to catch falling seed. The wood pigeons could just about rest on them with one foot while flapping away and trying to get to the seed. Wood pigeons love to bathe and will get into the larger water baths, lower their heads in the water, flap their wings and push the water over their bodies. In between bouts of washing, they just sit in the water. One wood pigeon in the summer sat for ages in the smallest water bowl that I have before trying to bathe in it. This was while there were three other bigger and deeper baths available in the garden. It did make me laugh. Bathing doesn't seem to make them very wet and their effort leaves lots of dust sitting on the water surface. One thing both wood pigeons and collared doves do is take a shower in rainstorms. When there's a heavy downpour, you'll see them opening a wing to the sky to allow their underwing areas to get wet. They alternate this action with each wing, sometimes opening the wing over their back so they seem to be on the verge of rolling over. Wood pigeons do rest a lot and sometimes just sit on a branch or on the ground with their wings dropped and the body more horizontally flattened than upright. There's a couple doing that this week in the garden. They look like they've been squashed. Wood pigeons are pretty disruptive in the garden and seem to get in regular disagreements with each other. The most noticeable conflict is when wood pigeons start hitting each other with their wings. Often it's difficult to know which one was the instigator. To a casual observer, the first sign of conflict can be missed. A bird that feels threatened will start to have a sort of shiver in its tail. And if that signal is ignored, the bird will either move away or stand up tall and make attempted pecks at the other. It's not clear to me whether these are just warnings and that the bird doesn't intend to make contact, but the other bird may start to mirror these actions and attempt to peck back, usually from too far away to make contact. If the situation escalates, the pecking becomes more likely to result in contact. Along with the pecking, the wings are used to hit the other bird. This fighting continues with one bird attempting to land on the other or chase it round the garden, making contact with wing slaps as it goes. It's very noisy and the birds become quite single-minded in their conflict, scaring other birds out of the way with the noise and their blundering approach. I often worry that the birds will be injured, but luckily I haven't seen that happen yet. At the other end of the scale, wood pigeons also show courtship behaviours where they coo and bow down in front of the object of their affection, fanning their tail and making short hops towards and away from them. When this is welcomed, 
It progresses to preening in front of the other before mating takes place. For such big, lumbering birds that often appear just to eat and rest, there's quite a lot to watch. Eurasian Collared Dove The Collared Dove is a medium-sized bird with a very gentle look. It has a pinky-grey body with slightly browner wings and a black half-collar on the back of its neck. The collar is edged with white. The sexes look alike, although field guides indicate that the tone of the male plumage is stronger than that of the female. Juveniles lack the collar and have a soft scalloping over their plumage, a slightly brown hue. The call sounds a little bit like a cuckoo and is a three-note. Woohoo! When flying in, collared doves often announce their arrival with a ah sound. Usually I only see one or two collared doves in my garden, and they often seem to be a pair. They eat seeds and nuts, and while I don't think I've ever seen them bathe in the garden, they do open their wings to the sky when there's heavy rain, as I previously said. I haven't noticed as many behaviours from collared doves as I have from wood pigeons. Sometimes a pair will sit together, mutually preen and look very cute. They have similar courtship behaviour to wood pigeons, approaching with little hops, progressing to preening each other before mating. Red-legged partridge This is an unusual bird to find in a suburban garden, and it's possibly an escapee from a game farm or from a hunt. A couple of years ago we had a pair visiting the garden for several months and I've been very pleased this year to see another use in my garden. A very distinctive bird with a squat plump body, downward pointing tail and short wings. They have sturdy red legs, hence the name, on which they walk or run. Size-wise they're midway between a collared dove and a wood pigeon. This bird's shape changes from being tall and upright when it runs along to being very rounded if it's sitting resting. The overall plumage effect is of a brown bird with stripy sides, but up close their plumage is really striking, a mix of plain colours and complex patterns. The top of the head, back and upper breast is mid-brown, changing to grey tones on the rump and mid-breast. The belly is a rich cinnamon, as are the outer tail feathers. The face is a creamy beige with a black line extending from the beak through the eye and around the throat. And from the throat through to the top of the breast is a black speckled area which looks like a necklace. It has a stout, slightly downcurved red beak and red eye rings. And its sides show repeated scallops of grey feathers with cinnamon and black edging. In the scrubland where it's usually found, this gives excellent camouflage. Well, in fact, it gives pretty good camouflage in my garden. Male and female birds are alike, so I don't know the sex of the one that's currently visiting. It turned up in April and has been there about six months. It uses my garden a lot, but also wanders the neighbourhood. So there's likely quite a few people who think of it as their bird. Red-legged partridges eat mainly seeds and roots, and I've watched it grazing on the grass in our lawn. This bird spends a large proportion of its time preening or dozing in my garden when not eating. It then disappears for hours, sometimes days at a time. When it's here, I put out additional seed and suet pellets for it, and it runs down the garden as if pleased to see me, but then it veers off before it gets too close. 
I know it's coming just for the food. Our garden provides great habitat for the partridge as in their native lands they like bare stony earth. Even though I know to look for it, quite a few times I've been surprised to realise the bird is really close to where I'm standing. Their natural behaviour is to stay still until the last minute when they'll fly upward suddenly with a burst of whirring wings. Fortunately, it's not done that to me yet. It just gets up and runs away if I get too close by mistake. The red-legged partridge doesn't bathe in the water dishes, but wow, does it love dust bathing. I've been able to get many photos and videos of it scratching and pecking at the soil before kicking it back over its back and wings. When finished, it shakes the excess dust out of its feathers. It's wonderful to see, even though it leaves quite deep holes in the flower beds, or it kicks soil all over my patio. When it eats, it makes little clucking noises that are very endearing. heard this one make many of the louder calls and when I have heard it, it's generally been a few streets over but the previous birds that visited often shouted out at dusk or in the early morning. partridge in my garden generally ignores the other birds but one time a magpie tried to pull its tail and it responded by rearing up tall and the magpie left it alone. It also keeps a careful watch for birds of prey flying overhead. Seeing it with its head on one side watching the sky intently is usually a pretty good indication that there's a red kite or buzzard overhead. You can find photos and videos of all these garden birds on my website, casualbirder.com. I'd love to hear about the birds you see regularly and what you've noticed about them. Visit my website to find all the ways you can get in touch. Don't forget to check out at PodMonth on Twitter and visit internationalpodcastmonth.com for more information about the blogs and podcasts being released for International Podcast Month, September 2020. Links to all of these are in the show notes. Thanks to Randy Braun for designing the artwork for my show. The Casual Birder theme music is Short Sleeve Shirt by The Drones. Thanks to them for letting me use it. Check out their website at dronesmusic.net. Thank you all for listening, and I hope you'll join me again for another episode of the Casual Birder podcast. Intro and outro music for all IPM episodes is composed by Benny James. Our graphic art and logo are by Matthias Grelly. You can support International Podcast Month by sharing and talking about the event, and you can even buy our team members a coffee. Links are in the show notes. Follow us at PodMonth on Twitter and use the hashtag PodMonth2020. Head on over to internationalpodcastmonth.com for the month-long blog and for more information about the event. International Podcast Month, celebrating creators, sharing listeners.